This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen and amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses? Have you ever heard that? Well, that was actually a cartoon series in the early 1900s. In 1913, it began, and in 1915, it became a cartoon film. It was about a family called the McGinnises, and the McGinnises were always trying to keep up with their neighbors. Now, the cartoon film and series never really showed their neighbors, but you got the idea that they were wealthy, they always had the latest gadgets, they had the best things, and the McGinnises always were comparing their lives to their neighbors, who their name was the Joneses. And thus came the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Now, we may not these days keep up with our physical neighbors, but we find ourselves still living with this idea of keeping up with others, keeping up with the Joneses. In fact, through the years, advertisers have have really targeted the one thing that God says is great gain in our life, and that is contentment. Advertisers have, have made it an enemy if you're content. And they've created this idea that in order to succeed, in order to have a life of success, you've got to continue to have more and more and more. In fact, we fight against the game show that we just saw, this greed that sometimes grabs us. Now, yes, the reality is we're going to look in today's word. We're going to see that God wants us to be wise. We're to be stewards. We're to uh, work the land. We're to uh, save and we're to prepare for the future. But greed is something that fights and every one of us have got to win this battle. In fact, through the years, it's become a science for advertisers. They, they, uh, they, 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 they market and they try to make where you and I are constantly discontent, that it's become a science. In fact, there's some great uh, documentaries of helping you to understand how everything that we do today, if you have a cell phone, if you're on the internet, everything that we do is targeted and it's become a science. Candy and I were driving not long ago and and, uh, we were talking interest rates have come down and we were talking about maybe we should refi our house. That maybe we should take advantage of the new interest rates. Now I'm telling you, it was a conversation that we were having in our car and I tell you the truth, within 10 minutes, I got a phone call from our mortgage company and our mortgage company asked us if we were considering refiing, they would like to refi with us. I looked at my phone and I said, Siri, quit listening to me. And then I started playing with her and I said, Siri, you are so dumb. You are so stupid. And she said, that's not very nice. 
Now, the reality is, I don't know if Siri was listening. I have a feeling that she was, but they are targeting. If you search something, all of a sudden you start getting it. If you talk about a vacation somewhere, you're going to start getting all of the ads. And, and we have fallen into a trap, and this trap, advertisers are, are targeting and they're coming after us. But the Bible says that there is power in contentment, and that power leads to great gain. It's the title of our message today, Great Gain. And we're going to begin to look at some different things in the Word of God that will help us to understand how powerful for our life contentment is. Now, let me define contentment for you. The biblical concept for contentment is that one is fulfilled. They're satisfied. They feel complete. They feel as though they lack nothing. If you're looking in your notes, you can see Webster definition. Webster definition for contentment is happy enough with what one has or is, not desiring something more or different. They are satisfied. There is something that we've got to understand today when we're talking about breaking the bank. We're talking about breaking mindsets. The mindsets that that are targeted towards you and I to make us feel discontent, to desire more. And before we know it, we step out of the realm of contentment and into another area that is very, very dangerous. And we'll look at it today. Let's start by looking in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, Paul is writing to a young minister by the name of Timothy, and he says, but godliness, read it with me, godliness, say it louder, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. What does Paul mean when he says great gain? Well, he links two things. He says godliness. Now, godliness if I can make it as simple as possible, godliness is pursuing God and the purposes of God. Let me say it again. If you're taking notes, write it down. It's pursuing God and the purposes of God. Now, yes, it'll mean living a holy life, being separate. I'm pursuing God. There's a passionate spirituality. There's a desire to know God, walk with God, to experience God and to fulfill God's purpose. So when I link godliness with contentment, I'm satisfied. I'm fulfilled. There's no sense that I lack anything. When I put that together, Paul says, I have great gain. Now, let me tell you, this is the gain. The gain, in fact, Darren, wherever you are, you have it today. You walked away with a hundred dollars. Michelle lost her 50 right? She lost her 50 and, and, and you lost, you got a bottle of water for $20. That's, that's some expensive water right there. Great gain is what? It's a life of peace. Great gain is a life of confidence. It's a life of security. Great gain is a life of freedom, knowing that you are doing what God has called you to do. Now, why is this so important? It's because discontent makes you and I a prisoner after our own cravings. We become a prisoner that desires more and you're trapped into this never-ending cycle. It's a mindset that must be broken, that there's more, I've got to have more, and there's a dissatisfaction that keeps pressing and pressing and pressing. Can I tell you, 
that the enemy of your contentment is comparison. Say comparison. Now, let me explain comparison to you. Comparison is this pursuit of er. Say er. What do you mean by er? The pursuit of er. Well, comparison is that you're pursuing the er. That you want to be greater. You want to be prettier. You want to be smarter. You want to have more, 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 a better jobber, a better marriager. I mean... I know I didn't put it all right, but it's the pursuit of err. It's pursuit of more. And it's a mindset that's got to be broken if we're going to live with godliness and content that brings great gain. It's this pursuit of err in our life. And it comes out of comparison that I compare, you compare, and we're looking at, and the problem is, with this pursuit of err is that the horizon of contentment is always moving. You see, when you see it and you think that's the destination, before you know it, you get there and now the horizon has just moved. And so now you think that that's where you've got to be. That's the place of contentment. When I get here, I've arrived. And when you get there, the horizon has moved. Now, I don't know, I don't know if you've experienced it, but I guarantee when you get to the err that you're pursuing, when you arrive there, the horizon has moved and you begin to pursue something else. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. He says, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise. The horizon of contentment is always moving. And, and before we know it, that comparison, uh, uh, that, that pursuit of err and, and the enemy of contentment of comparison becomes a slippery slope and we begin to, to go down into a swamp. There is a pursuit of more and more and it turns into resentment turns into envy, turns into discouragement and pride, and it's very, very dangerous. I can guarantee you there's some that are listening today that you're working yourself to death because you're pursuing the horizon of err. You're driving yourself because there's a horizon of err. You want to be more successful than your parents were. You want to you wanna have more. You don't want them to be like this. You want that. You're studying more. You're going to this, you're having surgeries to look this way, you're doing so much to get, did I say that out loud? <laughs> you're doing so much to get to that spot, but the problem is when you get there, the horizon has moved and you're working yourself to death. Women, I understand that you compare yourselves by looking at each other's purses, each other's shoes, each other's nails, each other's clothes, each other's hair. I mean, you're always comparing by looking at these things. Where we as guys, we might be looking at watches and cars and gadgets and who's got the latest and the best. But the problem is, is we're comparing. And in comparison, it becomes this sip, uh, slippery, slippery slope. You see, I have just got to learn, you've got, I have to learn to admire without acquiring. How do I admire it without desiring to have it? 
can I look at something and say, that is so nice. That is so good. I'm sure glad I didn't pay what they paid for that, but I can admire it because they have it. You know, I don't have to own it to enjoy it. Just tell yourself that. I don't have to own it to enjoy it. Pastor Candy and I were away for a few days. Someone said today, I looked very golden, right? I looked very golden. I spent a lot of time in the sun and uh, we were cruising around on this lake and we were looking at all these beautiful houses and mansions. And I just had, I was preparing this message. It was in my heart and I just had to keep practicing. God, man, that is a beautiful house. That is so nice. And now every now and then I had to say, thank God I don't have their payment. Thank God I don't have what they're having to pay to to keep up with that, right? We can admire it without having to acquire it. And when we get there, it's a place of contentment. See, the problem is, is when we compare, it's always rooted in our insecurity. It's rooted in what we've got to have to be, what we've got to do to be perceived, what we got to look like to be accepted or to be a part of. And the enemy of your contentment is this comparison. Why? It's because we keep evaluating. We keep scoring. We keep looking. We look at people and circumstances and possessions. We look at all of these things. And, 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 and the reality then is we're pushing ourselves that we never have enough and we don't have what they have and we're not like them. And because of that, and we begin to fall into this big, big swamp, this big, big swamp. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem for all of us. Every one of us that are listening today is that there's a whisper. You have it, I have it, there's a whisper. What do you mean a a whisper? Well, it's it's in your head. I have it, and you have it. It's a little whisper in your head that says, you've gotta have it. You've gotta do it. You need it. You need it. And the whisper saying, because if you don't, you're not respectable. If you don't have it, you're not acceptable. There's a little whisper that says, you got to move or you're not lovable. And there's this whisper that keeps driving and driving to drive us to have what they have. Now, the problem with what they have is they have a whisper too. And their whisper keeps pushing them and driving them. It's in their head. And that's why there is no win in comparison. When we keep pushing ourselves like that, I've got to be better. I've got to have this. It leads to a better than, worse than, and that always, either one of those becomes a sin in our life. And it feeds this insecurity, this insecurity, this sense of inferiority. We were brought up maybe in a poor family. We were raised maybe in a country that didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of possessions. Maybe we didn't even have a bathroom in our house. We didn't have the finest things. And there's this insecurity and this feeling of inferiority that pushes and pushes and pushes. I remember, I've told this story before, when I was in high school, now we had... In our family, we had financially everything that we needed. But we didn't have the latest, right? We didn't have the best. We didn't wear the new shoes, right? I, I don't even know what they are. Some of you, 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 you know what they are. You're wearing them, but I didn't have them. The Easy's, is that it, right? The, 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 the Jordans, all of those things. And I remember one day, I was in the locker room. I played sports. And man, there was like the latest fashion of shoes. But they were a little wore out. 
and they had gotten a little tear in the shoe and somebody threw them away. Well, when I walked by the trash can, I picked them out of the trash can and put them in my bag, right? Anybody else would have did it? Just me, okay, well. I'm embarrassed to even tell you this story then, right? I took those shoes home. I took that white shoe polish that you, you kind of push down. There's a little sponge and it throws out white, you know? And, and man, I made those shoes look white, man. They were good. I even took some thread and I, I sewed up the little tear that was in it. And I went to wearing those shoes the next day. I was feeling good about myself. But the problem was I put much, so much white on the shoes that it began to crack. And you could see all the cracks in my shoe from the white shoe polish. Now, why? Is there was this sense of insecurity that if I had those, I would be accepted, that I would be respected, that I would be lovable, that I would be received. And that's what we, many of us, fight with. And it's this internal whisper in this comparison leads us to one of the worst enemies that we could ever face, and that enemy is the enemy called envy. Say envy. Man, comparison opens this door, and it's the door of the worst sin, and it's the sin of envy. And that envy eats at us, and it's something, if we're not careful, that moves us out of contentment. Now, this area of contentment, I'm going to explain from the from uh, uh, Solomon in just a moment. This area of contentment is a fine line. In fact, I was texting some of our pastors last night and I said, there's a challenge in the message today because we live in contentment, but Solomon's going to say, it doesn't mean I just fold my hands and do nothing and prepare or pursue for the future. He's gonna show us, no, that's not the case. But the reality is if I'm not careful, I can fall into two extremes where I'm pushing and pushing and pushing and the horizon is always moving or I fold my hands and I do nothing and I live with a false theology that poverty is next to godliness and the more poor I am, the more godly I am and therefore we do nothing. Well, it's two extremes and we're going to look at that. And what I've got to say before we go on to Solomon, is that Paul makes it very, very clear to you and I in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, it's one of my favorite scriptures. He says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, let us strip off everything that first of all hinders and the sin that entangles, and here's the part I want to focus on, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, you have a different race than the person sitting uh, around you. You have an individual race, and you've got to run your race. Don't compare how others are running their race. You run your race. What is your race? It's God's purpose. It's God's plan. It's what God has for you. But if you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, with culture, with all of the pressures that are around us, you'll run their race and they'll control how you run and what you run for instead of running the race that God has mapped out for you. You have gifts, 
you have a calling, you have passions, you have things that God has assigned you and you've got to run, I've got to run the race that's marked out for each and every one of us. Reminds me biblically of the time that Peter was walking along with Jesus and as they were walking along, it was right before the ascension when Jesus would be ascending into heaven and Peter and Jesus were having a conversation about Peter's future and right in the middle of it, Peter points to John and he asks about John. Now, Jesus, in John chapter 21, Jesus' response is, what is that to you, Peter? What is it to you about John's future? Run your race. Don't worry about him. Worry about you. Are you fulfilling my plan, my purpose, my desire from your life? Why is that so important? It's because joy Joy comes when you and I are in the center of God's will and we're running our race and we're fulfilling the purpose that God has created. Because one day we're gonna stand before our maker and we're waiting for that day when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. He says that because I've ran my race. I've finished my assignment. I've done what he's called me to do. I've pursued his will and his righteousness and his purpose. He's not gonna say, well done. You fulfilled John's purpose. No, 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 no. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, you and I have a race and we've got to run it. And when we run it, man, joy, joy comes to you and I and it's a joy that fills our heart. Can I hear an amen? You know, the pleasures of this world don't bring lasting joy. The things of this world don't bring that to our lives. It's when we're running the, the, the race and fulfilling the will that God has for us. Well, the opposite... The opposite of contentment, there's an enemy in its comparison, but the opposite of contentment, the biblical word is it's covet. You covet, there's covetousness. It's the 10th commandment. Exodus 20 and verse uh, 17 says, you shall not what? Covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. We don't covet it. And it's a biblical word that we don't use much. And it's the same word in the New Testament for greed. In the Old Testament, it was covet. In the New Testament, it's greed. And, um, and, and it's, it's very, very clear when it begins to happen in our heart and in our lives. We see it in our society today with materialism. We see it with having the, the latest gadgets, having the, the latest and the best, and, 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 and what we have is, is working well and it's good, but we've gotta have the newest one because it's come out and, and, and because advertisers have gotten so good at targeting us, they make us feel discontent if we don't have it. I discovered it in my own heart a number of years ago when uh, when uh, I began to, you know, uh, when technology really started to advance and man, I, when uh, the Palm Pilot came out and, the, and the, the latest devices came out, there was always this desire to have it, to get it. Anybody else, any guys, you were kind of like that, you know? You, you've got a fine working iPhone 8 
but iPhone 12 has just come out and it's got a better camera. It's got a faster processor. Like what is it going to, what, what, what do I need a faster processor for my phone? And, 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 and yet there's something that says, I've got to have it. I've got to get it. Well, advertisers make it very easy. You pay $35 a month and you can have a new phone every time it comes out. Many of you have got that plan maybe, I don't know. But I realized in me there was always this drive for the latest, for the best. And that's what coveting is. It's this uncontrolled desire to acquire. Now remember earlier I said we've got to learn to admire and we can admire it without acquiring it. But coveting says, no, I've got to own it. I've got to have it. So I've had to fight that within my own heart. Now the way I've done that is when the latest and the best comes, I don't go to the store, I don't go touch it, I don't go hold it, I don't admire it. Some of you love the window shop, you love to go look at it, it's therapy for you to touch it and look at it. But I'm telling you, the moment you put your hands on it, you want to acquire it, right? And then we tell ourselves, well, I can afford it, right? I I earn money. I deserve it. And before we know it, we're stepping over into an area that we all have to guard our own hearts. Now, this is a problem in America. It's a big, big problem. I've lived overseas like most of you have, and you and I know that overseas, they don't fight it the same way that we fight it here in America. I was amazed when I came back to America to see that people had, uh, you know, when I was growing up, you had one-car garages. Then it went to two-car garages, and now it's three-car garages. I saw a house being built the other day that had four-car garage. Now, they're not going to have four cars. It's to pile up all the stuff that they've gotten. How many of you really park in your garage right now? Very few of you are raising your hands. Why? We acquire. I know I'm dancing all over your toes today. I know it. I know. But the problem is, is we've gotten caught And when we get caught in it, we've got to recognize it. And my job is to say, God, help us to recognize it so we can break it because this is an enemy of our spirituality. It's something that God desires us to have under control. And so I was amazed to come back to see so many garages and so many storage places, right? I mean, if I was an investor 30 years ago, I would have invested in storage units, right? I mean, everybody has them packed. You know, I had to have one for a few years and and I forgot what was in there. I, I don't even remember what was in there. You know, in our closets. The root of all of this, if we're not careful, is greed. It drives us and it pushes us. And there's this whisper that says we got to have it and we need it. And I've just learned if I put my hands to it, I'm going to desire to acquire it. So I've learned to delay gratification. I've learned to say, that's a beautiful phone. I don't need it right now. In fact, my phone, I just had, <laughs> I just had to, I had to replace my phone uh, a few weeks ago. I really did. I think it was an iPhone 6. And the screen was cracked. It was all... And my mom came and she looked at my phone and she says, your screen is cracked. And I said, I know, but it's still working. It doesn't bug me. It's okay. And, 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 you know, and it was still taking pictures. It was still doing everything I want, but then it broke and I had to replace it. But if I would have touched the iPhone 8, the 9, the 11, the 12, I mean, with that new slick look, I think, I think you can get it in purple now. Wow. 
You can get it in purple. Isn't that so cool? I mean, the new MacBook. I mean, I remember getting the first uh, laptop and then they came out with the Mac and now they're real slim and they weigh like nothing and it's so wonderful. And, and if I touch it, I want it. I, I know I want it. I don't go to the car dealers because if I get in a new car, that smell just, just pulls me. It pulls me. And then he says, do you want to take a test drive? I might as well hand him my wallet before I drive. It's pulling me. So I don't, I don't get in it. I, I mean, I, could I afford it? Well, maybe. You know, do I deserve it? Probably not. But I'm smelling it. And oh, this is so good. See, God is saying, don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Why? The horizon is always moving. It's always moving. And Jesus says this in Luke. In Luke, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, he says, watch out. Let me just slow, slow down a little bit. I don't want you to miss. Watch out. Guard yourself from what? Every kind of greed. Watch out. So if Jesus is telling us, watch out, even in the disciples' days, I'm telling you, we've got to be alert today. Watch out, guard yourself. It contaminates, it pollutes, it poisons, contaminates us. Watch out, it poisons. Watch out for every kind of of greed. Why? Because your true life, underline it, your true life is not made up of the things you own, no matter how rich you may be. Now, what's a sign that you've crossed out of contentment into the area of greed? Well, just real quick, if you're overly self-centered, if you're overly desiring and self-centered on what you've got to have and what you need and what you desire and, and, and you may already have something, but you want more of it, if you're overly self-centered, that's a sign. If you're envying, if you see and now there's just a lust and a desire and a drive, when we lose empathy of what others are experiencing and going through, when we have this idea of entitlement that we, we deserve it and we must have it, when we're never satisfied. I mean, you get that new iPhone and in a few months it wears off that now you're not satisfied with it anymore or, or computer or car or shoes or whatever it may be. You're never satisfied. In fact, people that step into greed honestly, many times find themselves stepping over into an area of manipulation of their own emotions, of their own motive, of why they want it or desire it, and manipulating others to get it. And those that step into greed, they don't have the long term. They're looking at the short run. They're looking at the short term. They're looking at what's right before them, and they lack the boundaries that help them to run. So Paul will say this to you and I in Colossians chapter three, Paul would say, put to death. Say that with me. Put to death. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality. Now it's amazing what he's getting ready to put into the list here. You gotta put this together. You gotta put this to death because it's a part of your earthly carnal 
nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Now, those are all pretty big things. We hear a lot about those things. But then he adds, and say it louder. Put to death greed. Why? Because it is idolatry. Idolatry. It's a God. It becomes something that takes the place of God. Greed begins to push us towards not God's will, not God's plan, not God's desire. It's our desire. It's our want. And advertisers have gotten, man, They've gotten so specific how to target you and me so that we're discontent and we find ourselves going there. So this is what I know. Greed must die before contentment can live. Greed's gotta die. And Lord, it's a daily battle. It's a fight. How do we let it die? Well, I wanna take you over to Ecclesiastes as I finish this message. Ecclesiastes chapter four in verse five, I love it because Solomon, now Solomon was the richest of his day. Solomon was an, 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 an elder man, an older man at this time. And again, as I said, very, very wealthy. And Solomon's going to show us there's two extremes. Look here with me. Ecclesiastes chapter four and verse five, he says, fools fold their hands and they ruin themselves. What he's saying is this, he's saying, listen, because I want to be where God wants me to be and and I wanna be godly, the one extreme is I fold my hands and I do nothing. I'm gonna go live in a cave, I'm gonna be a monk, I'm gonna have no possessions to my life, I'm not even gonna worry about working, I'm gonna just pray all day long. Sounds godly. But he says, fools fold their hands and they ruin themselves. It's the idea that I'm not even gonna try, I'm not gonna do anything because I don't wanna step over the line into greed. No, he says that's one extreme. He says better are a handful of tranquility, though this is so good, then two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, how do you fight this? How do, how do we wrestle with this? How do we get to great gain? He gives us a picture that I want you to have. It's a metaphor you gotta hold on to. And he says, one handful, one handful. You see, I know we used an illustration a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago, that God's gonna pour it into your hands. But I'm saying... That is not what we pursue. That's what God chooses to give us. I've got to be, I've got to be content with the one handful that God has given to me. One handful is likened to tranquility. That is a satisfaction. I feel fulfilled. It is enough. It will provide where two handfuls, he says, leads to toil. It leads to striving and it's chasing the wind. So when you begin to feel this struggle in you, I want you to remember what Solomon said, it's chasing the wind. 
You're not going to catch it. The horizon is moving. And if we're striving and desiring and pushing and longing because culture says we need it and because there's something in us that's pulling us, am I chasing the wind? It's a metaphor I've got to hold in my mind. So I ask myself, am I chasing the wind? Our culture says more is better. Our culture says you got to have it. You got to chase after it. You got to get it. But less can be more, right? When you're fulfilled, less can be more when I am living with peace. Less can be more when there's an area of contentment that I'm in and I'm satisfied with that. Now, I know you're struggling. I struggled. Why? Our culture says you got to have it. You need it. You got to desire it. And you got to get two handfuls. One is not enough. He goes on. He goes on. Let me, let, me not, let me not stop. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Now, here he is in the end of his age. He has all the money that, that one could have at this time. He's saying, listen to me. I've been there. And I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. You see what he's saying from Solomon is that we've got to understand godliness with contentment is great gain. You see this Solomon is saying is I've got to stop and I've got to say, whom am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? What is pulling me? Is it seeking approval? Is it seeking uh, uh, to be accepted or respected? Is it, is it something that's pushing me because of an insecurity or an inferiority? And I think it comes down to the last point I want you to write down is that the key to contentment is that we focus on what will last forever. See, what he says here, Solomon says, is we've got to learn to enjoy what we have. To enjoy what God has given to us. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, one more chapter over in chapter 5, in verse 19, Solomon will say, if God gives man wealth and prosperity, you see, there's nothing wrong with riches. There's nothing wrong with, with, with the work that we do. We get paid and, and, and the salaries that we make, we, 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 we build for our futures in that. He says, if a man has wealth and prosperity, He should be grateful and enjoy what he has. Why? Because it is a gift from God. See, happiness isn't getting all that you want. It's enjoying all that we have. And we learn that one handful can be better than two handfuls. And we're grateful and we're we're living with a sense of joy that comes to our heart. Can I hear an amen? Envy 
is what pushes us in this meaningless toil and this pursuit and this desire. And we drift. And as we drift, we start comparing. And as we start comparing, all of a sudden we're chasing the wind. So for me, I'm asking God, help me. Help me that when I step out of contentment, am I chasing the wind? Help me to see it in my own life. If I'm chasing something, if I'm pursuing something, God, help me to see it so that I don't step into greed. I I don't step into envy. I'm not chasing the wind and it becomes something that is so meaningless. Why? It's because these things of this world are passing. They're temporary. They're fleeting. But that of God is eternal. God, am I pursuing the er? Am I pursuing something that's going to make me better, greater, feel happier? God, if I am, I want you to open my eyes. I want you to show it to me. I want you to help me to learn to appreciate what you've already given me and to be grateful and to enjoy it. So I took a few moments and I thought, okay, most of you that are, that are here, that are watching me, you live in South Florida. Can I tell you right now, there are some things that we can really enjoy in Florida. People are spending thousands and thousands of dollars to come to South Florida right now. You live here. They're spending thousands of dollars just to go walk along the beach. You can do it for free. They're spending thousands and thousands of dollars to come to Orlando. In fact, a lot of states right now, they're all closed up. They can't even leave their, maybe they're starting to leave their house. I don't know. But in Florida, we go to Orlando. If you got kids, I mean, people are spending thousands and thousands and thousands. We can drive down to the Keys. Man, that's beautiful. Just drive along the keys, drive down, have lunch, come back, have that key line pie. It's down there. You can do it for very, very little. You can walk on the beach with your spouse, but I don't like the sand. Well, go walk in the Everglades. I, 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 I don't know. You can drive up to the mountains, but the problem is we get caught. We get caught in this when and then thinking. And we gotta watch it. We gotta be careful of it. And this when and then thinking keeps us pursuing the wind, the horizon. And we've gotta learn to recognize it, the when and then. I've looked back over my own life and I've seen that there's been times where I've fallen into the when and then thinking. When I get married, anybody thought that? When I get married, all of our singles, when I get married, the when and then. When, when the kids get out of diapers, the when and then thinking. When the kids graduate and go uh, off to college, the when and then. When I retire, and we're always putting off our happiness to this time that's in the horizon, and we're missing the now of the moment. I just want to encourage you. The biblical idea of contentment is enjoy now. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Enjoy what you have today. Enjoy those that are with you and around you. When I get more money, when I get this, when I get that, I'm going to be happy. No, you can be happy right now. You can be happy with what you have. Look what Paul says. One more scripture. To young Timothy, he says, command those who are rich in this present world. By the way, if you live in America, 
you're in the top 5% of wealth in the world just by living here. Just by living here. Command those who are rich. I don't feel rich. Well, for most of us, we have a place to sleep. We have clean water. We don't have to go down to a river to get our water. We don't have to strain it to make sure it's purified. Some of us, you know, we don't even trust the water coming out. We go buy water. But around the world, they're walking down. Ladies are taking their skirts and holding their skirts up and pouring water to filter out all of the, all that. You see, if we're rich in this prison world, he says, command those. Not to be arrogant or to put their hope in their wealth. Why? Because their wealth is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God. Put it in God who richly provides for everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy. He's not saying wealth is wrong. He's saying don't put your hope in it. He's not saying don't, don't, don't work, don't just fold your hands. No, learn to be content with one handful. Don't strive to get two and miss the moment of enjoyment. He says, no, God provides everything for our enjoyment. And then in verse 18, he goes on, I love it. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should, what? Be rich, say it loud, be rich in what? In good works. You already got some money. Be rich in good works and give generously. For as you give generously, you're gonna be ready to share with others whatever God has given to you. Don't become proud, he's saying, of your wealth. Don't put your hope in, in, in your money. Don't, don't, don't use your money just to acquire more and more and more where stuff is gonna land in garages. Start giving it away. Start sharing it with others. Let generosity flow from your life. Use your money to do good and share it with others. Let me say it again. The key to contentment is to focus on what will happen and what will last for all eternity. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, at the conclusion of our message today, I want to challenge you to join something we've put together for you. We want to help you to live biblical. We want to help you to live with joy. We want to help you to enjoy the happiness of the moment and to have lasting joy in your life both financially and emotionally and physically. And so coming out of this sermon series, we've put together with professionals, doctors, psychiatrists, uh, financial uh, specialists and lawyers, we've searched around and we've gotten specialists in their fields. And we're going to be having three weeks of seminars. Three weeks of seminars that will help you emotionally, spiritually, physically in your life. And so we want to encourage you to be a part. They're going to be 
Zoom classes, not in person, but Zoom classes, so you can do it from your home. It'll be over three Wednesday nights, starting on July 7th, so we're given a couple weeks for you to get registered. You need to register. It's free, but you need to register to be a part of it. It's free, but you need to register to be a part of it, and it's going to happen over three Wednesday nights, starting July 7th, July 14th, and July 21st. We're calling it Go Getter. We're going to be talking about things like how to purchase a home. One of our passions is to help every one of you learn how to purchase a house, how to prepare wills and trusts, how to excel in your career, in your mental health and emotional health. How do you maintain it? We're going to be looking at how to obtain financial freedom so that you can live the life that God wants you to live. How do you become mentally healthy? How do you increase your credit score the right way that'll lead you to getting better interest rates and buying uh, cars or houses that you will need to buy? How to start a budget? How do you manage it? How do you get out of debt? How do you prepare for retirement? How do you take care of your temple physically, your body inside and out? How do you invest so that you're preparing for the future? All of these different topics. Now, on our website, you'll see on the screen, the web page. On our website will be a description of all the classes. I believe it's already listing all of the professionals that are going to be helping us to teach these classes in a Zoom setting. And there'll also be a place there that you can register. Now, if you live in South Florida, if you're watching me from wherever, this is open to you. A lot of work has been put into it. It's coming out of our sermon series because we don't want to just talk about it. We want to help you to walk it. We want to practically help you. This is not about the church. We've not stood up and just said, tithe more, give more to God. We want to help you be healthy because as you're healthy, you will live the way God wants you to live. So it's free, but you got to register. You can go to the website or you can text. If you want to do it right now, if you're watching me right now, you can take your cell phone out, text to the number you see the word seminar. And as soon as you text the word seminar, it'll shoot you back the registration and you can get signed up for the classes you want. Again, they're free, but you've got to register so that we're prepared for you and we want to help you. The last thing I lead you with, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back as we have a closing song. The last thing I want to encourage you with. First Timothy chapter six, verse six. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, pursuing God and the will of God and the plan of God with contentment is great gain. God, help us to learn. Help us to see. Let us recognize when we're chasing the wind. I pray, God, that you'll teach us and help us to understand when we're moving out of contentment into envy and greed. Help us, oh God, not to live in the two extremes, but help us, God, to live in this place that you say is great gain. The gain of peace, the gain of joy, the gain of freedom, the gain, oh God, of knowing that we are and we are doing and we are what you want us to be. We love you, God, and I pray that blessing of great gain over the congregation of CLC. In your name I pray, amen and amen. 
If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.